Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. So if you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and I love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Hi, and happy Monday. So happy you're here. These have been amazing two weeks. First, we had a whole week of awareness for giftedness, talented, and neurodiversity with Mark Smolowitz from The G Word, and it was jam-packed with panel discussions and events and Sophia Elliott from Our Gifted Kids made a podcast episode every single day of the week, which was amazing. So if you missed that, don't worry. I believe the recordings are going to be out there and you will be able to see those recordings. And then last Monday, we had the first ever 2E conference for Gifted and Twice Exceptional Adults, hosted by Julie Skolnick and Let's Talk to E. And it was jam-packed as well with amazing speakers. Okay, I'm one of them, but apart from me, there were really, really amazing speakers. And if you missed that going live on Monday, you can still sign up and get access to all the recordings And if you use my affiliate link down below in the show notes, I also get a little bit of a contribution. So thank you very much for supporting. And the rest obviously supports Julie and her amazing work with Understanding Comes Calm. And let's talk to e-conferences. She does such an incredible job. And if you don't know about Julie Skolnick yet, she has been on the show twice and she also talked about the conference in one of the last episodes. So go have a look. I also put the link in the show notes. So today we actually going to talk about something similar and related to this because I shared my story of how I discovered my giftedness and also looked into twice exceptionality on this conference with Julie Skolnick. And it goes well with what we're going to talk about today because I invited Jennifer Harvey Salam back. She is one of the first guests ever on this show. And without Jennifer, there wouldn't be Unleash Monday because she agreed to come on the show back in the day when I didn't even have a show out there yet. So after one year, one and a half years of my own journey, I also during that time reached out to her and did a few of her courses. I'm also part of her community. And I also got an assessment with Intergifted for my own giftedness profile. So the reason I ask her today to come back is I get a lot of questions of listeners and friends and people I speak with about now that I learned about this topic and I can relate 
where can I get my IQ tested? <laughs> and it seems that this seems to be the most logical next step for a lot of people that they need proof that they need an IQ score in order to call themselves gifted. And my own experience was a little bit, uh, how should I say this, traumatic. <laughs> Maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but it wasn't a very pleasant experience. And I did get an assessment for ADHD and the person administering that test had no idea about giftedness, what it actually means. They did ask me if I want to take an IQ test. And at the time I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it doesn't play into my strengths. I have some eyesight problems at the time and it's not going to go well, but they offer this to take it now. Otherwise, I will be on a waiting list and I will have to pay out of pocket and it's for research for my own podcast. So, okay, I'll do it. And long story short, if you want to hear the longer story, please watch Julie Skolnick's conference replay. I kind of failed that IQ test and I had a little bit of a crisis. Who am I to do this podcast with such an average IQ score? However, I reached out to Jen and I said, look, this happened to me. And she said, this is not the first story she hears. And she would like to explain what an IQ test can measure and also in what context it makes sense to do an IQ test and in what circumstance it might make more sense to do a assessment not based on an IQ test but rather finding out your individual really giftedness profile and more in terms of self-development. So this is what we're going to talk about. And I don't want to tell you more just now. I'm just going to hand over the word to Jennifer and let her do the talking. So without further ado, here's Jennifer. Welcome, Jen. I'm so excited to have you back on my podcast. Thanks, Nadja. Glad to be back. So it's been a year, I think, roughly since the first time I reached out to you and you even agreed to come on my show before I even had a podcast. And it was so generous of you. And I think that was really the start of getting me credibility in this space of giftedness. And after you were on the show, Paula Prova reached out and then Mark Smolowitz reached out and then I had Julie Skolnick on the show. And along the way, I was also doing my own journey on this giftedness and then twice exceptionality and talking to people. It was a, an incredible year. I also am taking some of your courses and really digging into the giftedness. And today we're going to talk a little bit about IQ tests and assessments because I think there's such a need and I get a lot of questions from my listeners, from my friends, from myself. <laughs> After some time in this space, I felt like there might be something more to this giftedness. Maybe I do have ADHD, maybe not. So I reached out to do an examination on ADHD. And that was, let's say, a special experience because... <laughs> I talked with you about this before. I was also then invited to do an IQ test and I had a horrible experience. And afterwards, I reached out to you and I said, Jen, this happened to me. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with the whole situation. Imposter syndrome kicks in. Am I really gifted? Who am I to do this podcast? You do assessments. Would you be willing to assess me? And I got your amazing feedback was yes. So I had an assessment with you from Intergifted and that's when the whole conversation started. So <laughs> this is the basis, the baseline for this conversation today. And then we said, we need to have this on a podcast episode because these questions come up. People say, I do relate to the articles, to the books, the inner experience, but I wasn't good at math. Now I need to do an IQ test to know if I'm gifted. <laughs> yeah. 
it's an area of a lot of anxiety for a lot of adults. And it's one of the reasons that I do want to talk about it publicly, because like you having this bad experience based on factors that were out of your control, there's this aspect of it where it's after the bad experience, then what do you, how do you process that? And how do you make sense of it? But for a lot of people, it's even before whatever the experience is going to be of being IQ tested. There's a lot of anxiety around it. Do I want to do that? Do I need to do it? Am I allowed to call myself gifted if I don't have a psychologist or a test administrator who has been able to say, you know, you have X number of IQ points or something like this. Given that so much has been done around this for children, for the purposes of education, mostly for getting either special education in terms of intellectual disability or on the opposite side of things, getting special education for giftedness and high ability. There's been so much around that. And then it's like with everything else in the adult giftedness domain, it's like we're trying to pattern ourselves on this world of gifted children stuff. And it doesn't really work because we don't really need, I don't need an IQ score to go legitimize for myself something as an adult. I mean, I don't need it as a passport to get into some next level education or something like that. And so, again, it's kind of this classic thing that all gifted adults run into at some point who are digging into what is it to be gifted and how can I understand and express my giftedness and let's say embrace it in a healthy way. It's kind of going back to this thing that's been designed mostly for children, this whole system that's been designed mostly for children. So there's a lot of anxiety around it. And like, I don't want to go sit in a, an exam room and be time tested for my capacity to remember the Fibonacci sequence or whatever. Like, I just don't want to do that with my time, you know, yet should I, because if I don't, then dare I continue to look into this literature? How do I justify to my psychologist or to my friends or to my employer or whoever else that I actually can claim that I'm gifted. So, I mean, dispelling a lot of the myths and kind of updating gifted adults' understanding of how they can navigate these questions and the anxiety that comes both before making such a decision to get tested and after such a decision to get tested. People tell me sometimes they schedule an IQ test, they go, they're tested as gifted, everything's fine, they process it, it's no big deal. But even then, you know, you have a number, but then what? What do you do with it? I mean, aside from, like I said, having the past to be able to say to people, the psychologist told me that I'm gifted, then what? What do you do with it? So there's still, you know, there's still a ton of questions that remain, even if everything goes well in terms of testing. So what you're saying is basically as children, it's kind of legitimized to have IQ tests because you need those for your children to be able to access certain programs and get support for your gifted children. But once you're in adulthood, there's really very rarely a need for you to actually have an IQ score, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not really a past for anything in particular. I find this especially true over here in Europe. It's like kind of this deference to the authorities. And if the experts don't say it, then I can't claim it. I mean, even more so than in the US culture, for example, just giving the two cultures as an example. And so there's this kind of feeling like I better go because it does give me something. It gives me permission to actually believe this thing. But that's more culturally loaded. It's not really a necessity unless it's just felt internally. Like I have to do it for myself so that I can justify, you know. Yeah. And I think that's also what I heard from people in my surroundings was I never really fit in a box. I was always the odd one out. And suddenly, I read the books, I read the blogs, I relate. And then I'm so scared to get an IQ test because I feel like this is going to be taken away from me. And it's the first time they do fit in a box. And so they're really scared. And then also imagine you go to an IQ test and there's so much pressure. And I can speak for myself. Like I even have a podcast built on this. I'm like, if I don't prove to everybody today at this, you know, eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning that I am gifted, I can, you know, stop making my podcast tomorrow. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and an IQ test is often measuring. I mean, it's measuring aspects of intelligence that can be applied to many things. So like perceptual ability, 
verbal abilities. I mean, you can be, you can apply verbal or perceptual abilities, for example, or working memory or the different things that it matters. That can apply across the board, across different kinds of intelligence. But it's still limited when you think about emotional intelligence, for example. It's very limited. I mean, you can't, an IQ test can't tell you if you're applying your verbal reasoning or your perceptual reasoning or your working memory to emotional things or math or, I mean, it can tell you if you're doing it to math, for example, or, or these kinds of logical, abstract logic stuff. But the things outside of that realm, it can't really tell you. So it's like you put pressure on yourself. People put pressure on themselves to definitely be at that level, at a certain level in this, in this specific, in these specific domains. And then it could delegitimize any other way you're intelligent that the test can't measure for. And so, yeah, it's like, it's so much pressure. Like I better be good at those obscure things that maybe I'm not interested in. Maybe you're interested. I mean, some people, like I said, some people love the IQ test. They, they move through it. They're super happy with it. And then other people find that it's not really measuring the way that they express their intelligence. And so it's like, you can be gifted and not express it exactly that way and be putting yourself under a ton of pressure to express it that way so you can legitimize these other parts of yourself that the test will never measure. So then if you say the IQ test measures, you know, some parts of intelligence, but not the whole, you know, we're still debating like what is intelligence? Well, that's the problem. I mean, even preparing for today, that's what I was telling you before we started. I was like, okay, so let's just look at what the IQ test measures. And then I was like, oh no, here we go into the whole question of what is intelligence. And there is no absolute consensus on the answer to that question. And, you know, I mean, there's this idea that intelligence spans a wide range of complex phenomena and any kind of definition of intelligence is trying to put a set of that together so that you can kind of work with this concept and then, you know, name it and, and, and do research with it and communicate about it. But all of those things are necessarily flawed. And also intelligence is fluid. Like one day I might be expressing my intelligence way better than the next day. Kind of depends. Like, did I sleep well? Do I have social support? You know, what's going on in my life that will also affect very much how I'm expressing my intelligence. So, I mean, it's not to say like one day I probably have an IQ score of, uh, I don't know, whatever, 100. And then the next day I'd have a 150. Not necessarily that extreme, but I mean, it varies. Let's move on a little bit into the field of of your expertise, because at Intergifted, you do assessments. So it's not an IQ test. There's no test involved. No, there's no testing. <laughs> but you basically can help people understand their own giftedness, their area of giftedness, and you came up with your own model. So where would you like to start and explain what is that you do and what is it based on? It grew out of a lot of these questions that we're talking about defining intelligence to begin with. And like I said, a lot of it, when I came into the field 12 years ago or, or however long ago it was, there was so little toward adult giftedness and so little toward self-development as a gifted person. It was almost all toward education for gifted kids. And I was thinking, I want to understand myself. I want to understand my brain. I want to see what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and my quote giftedness, the gifts that I have. And I just, I can't figure it out through the lenses that are provided for me through a lot of the gifted education for children lenses. Like it just doesn't cross over very well, especially because a lot of times that domain is focusing on information for teachers who may not be gifted themselves and how they're supposed to support their gifted kids, their gifted students. So I was like, I need some other way of figuring this out. So sort of a bridge for me was Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. I just felt like, yeah, I can work with that mentally somehow differently than an IQ score, for example, or just the idea of like uh, working memory or processing speed or these kinds of more technical things that are measured by an IQ test. And also then Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegration played in there in terms of the idea of the application of understanding some version of intelligence or heightened sensitivity or something in the personal development of a gifted adult. So what am I doing with all of this extra? Now he talked about it in terms of 
overexcitabilities. And that's not necessarily the same thing as giftedness, but there's a commonality in terms of an extra something that really spoke to me. And there is often overlap with overexcitabilities and giftedness. Not always, but often there is. These two things kind of were a bridge for me. And that combined with a lot of my personal studies in neuroscience and consciousness studies and personality development. And then, of course, my work as a coach and psychologist over the years. So kind of putting all of these things together, I started to get a different model in my head that would be useful for gifted adults in their self-development. So you could have an IQ score, but that would just be the start of a journey. That wouldn't be the end of the journey at all. That would just be like first step into legitimizing and then figuring out what is your particular, what are your areas of intelligence? Do you have overexcitabilities? How do they play in? Do you have other neurodivergences? How do they play in? Have you had support or have you not had support for developing your specific areas of intelligence and your giftedness, wherever, however it expresses itself? And that started to build into this model that I've created and which we talked about the last time that I was a guest on your podcast. So we talked about the areas of intelligence and sort of gave an overview. So anybody who's listening who might be interested would be invited to go back there and have a listen. I'll mention it briefly now as well, just so that you don't have to go back to listen to understand what I'm talking about next. But after a long time of doing theoretical work behind the scenes and also validating it through my work with actual clients, then I decided on these six areas of intelligence to work with. So the one that would be measured the best by an IQ test would be the intellectual domain. So the intellectual domain is like abstract reasoning, mathematics, complex logic, that kind of thing. Then the other five are less easily measured by any kind of qualitative test. So that is the creative intelligence, emotional intelligence, physical intelligence, existential intelligence, and sensual intelligence. This led me sort of out of the realm of just human intelligence and really seeing how intelligence exists on a wide spectrum. So plants have intelligence, uh, animals have intelligence. We could say somehow there's some sort of energetic intelligence at work that helps our cells to know what to do, which cells should become which kind of cells internally. And there's kind of this wide field of different intelligences an ecology of intelligence, we could say, which was also helpful for me in situating giftedness. Because a lot of times giftedness comes with this idea like, we're on top of the world. We're the pinnacle of creation kind of thing, which is not good. <laughs> it's not a good basis for self-development. Because when you think about being on top of the world, you're not honest with yourself. We exist in an ecosystem Sure, we can have certain, quote, superior abilities, technically superior abilities in certain areas, but that's adaptive only to certain environments. I mean, I always joke that my cat is really good at things that I could never be good at, and it makes him really good at navigating his environment, and I would be terrible at those things. If you put me in the woods today, I would really struggle to survive on my own. Put my cat in the woods, he's going to be fine for the rest of his life. So realizing that is very humbling, I think, and it really does something to connect us to a really grounded self-inquiry. Because one of the problems that's come along with the whole IQ world, you know, the IQ score world, is it puts a number to something. And if you have a 145 IQ, you can go, ha ha ha, I have 145. And all those average people just have a 100. It's just not that simple. It's not that simple because sometimes having a, a, an IQ of 100 is just brilliant. It helps you to get along in society. It can make you more satisfied with your life because you don't see all the abstract possibilities of all the other things that could be. You don't maybe demand such insane perfection from yourself because you are not thinking about all the next levels of what could be or what should be or whatever. You're not maybe so overwhelmed with all your creative ideas that you don't know how to like even manage your own mind. So the idea that there's one ideal profile and that's what the score, whatever, one, here, I'll say a, a dramatic score, 180, you know, all the way at the top, you know, that kind of thing. It's really not good for self-development. It's really not good for understanding our own actual strengths, weaknesses, and just the complexity that we're working with on a daily basis. So it's been important for me to kind of situate that in a realistic, grounded way 
that allows people to look at themselves honestly and say, okay, not where do I fit on a scale of top to bottom, but just like, who am I? How does my intelligence express itself in its different varieties, not just IQ score version? And how do I make a good life for myself, given who I am? And how does that inform how I interact with my environment, including respecting all of the other intelligences around me and the way they express themselves? So that's not just to say that it's a total Zen approach and you just accept everybody and the world. I mean, because that could be its own utopia as well, right? Like we're all intelligent in different ways and like we're all just going to get along. I mean, that's something I talk a lot about in my work. It's like, no, you can have very gifted psychopaths, for example, at, at some extreme of scary human behavior. So it's not to say that you just get super happy and everything's going to be okay. You know, there is very bad behavior. You still have to have boundaries. But understanding your own profile helps you to understand where do you put those boundaries. And I'm saying gifted psychopath. But there's lots of psychopaths as well that may not be, you know. So it sort of exists on all the levels that you have to be open and boundaried at the same time. And really understanding your own intelligence helps you to do that. And as you can see, as I'm talking about it, this is far away from am I gifted or not? Black, white, yes, no. I mean, there is, there is a basic yes, no, at least if you're, if you're working with, I mean, when I work with giftedness as the shorthand for intellectual giftedness, I do for myself, you know, in the model that I work with, I do require a basic level of intellectual giftedness to be considered gifted in the way that I work with it. But I mean, in terms of my community with intergifted and the services that we offer, the courses we offer, that we require a basic, you know, level of intellectual giftedness. But I mean, you could very well be emotionally gifted and not have that level of complex intellectual reasoning that accompanies it. And that would be, that's a great profile. It may not fit in my world, you know, in the world that I've created for adult giftedness, but it is its own form of giftedness. And that's a legitimate thing to live with and carry forward in one's life. Yeah, there's a few things that pop into my head is like, the first thing was, okay, I found out about my own giftedness, suspected giftedness at the time. And then I shared with my parents because, you know, I'm in my thirties and I was like, I think I'm gifted. And the first reaction from my mom was like, so what does it change for you? Like, why do you need to know? Do you feel better than others? And that what you just answered. No, it's not better or worse. It's simply learning to understand yourself and from a self-development point of view, I think it's very important. And when we talk before about children, IQ tests and education, what I learned over talking to people is also that even though they were identified as kids, nobody told them what it means to be gifted. So I had somebody reach out to me talking about his multi-potentiality and how he found answers through that. And then I said, you know, if you really want to go deep, I think you might want to look into giftedness. And he said, well, I was identified as a kid, but it didn't solve my problems. I was still, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> I yeah. still didn't fit in. But I was like, okay, so you know you're gifted, but nobody helped you understand what this means. So having a first step with an assessment such as intergifted really puts it into perspective. Okay, so where are the areas? What is your profile? And as you said, gifted is not equal gifted. Everybody has a very unique kind of signature signature profile, which is very interesting when I work with you to see that. And it helped me understand myself even more. And also, as you said, like really use it as a tool going forward in self-development. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny to hear, I mean, funny, sad to hear because that's kind of the classic belief, right? If I'm gifted, I shouldn't have any of these problems. Everything should be figured out. So, you know, hearing his response to say, yeah, well, I found out I'm gifted, but that didn't solve any of my problems. I mean, that shows the biases that we come into adulthood with. I mean, I was also identified as a, as a kid and nobody told me what giftedness was. It was only in my late 20s rediscovering and going, oh, that explains a million things. I wish somebody had explained this to me before. It would have helped me to not make so many wrong turns in my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. If people come to you, like maybe me as an example saying, okay, 
I might be gifted. You look into the multiple areas of intelligence, but also twice exceptionalities and the overexcitabilities. Do you want to share a little bit how that can play in? And I think at one point you said giftedness can look boring, <laughs> for example, <laughs> because a lot of people talk about this intensities. Yeah, this is a mistake I made at the beginning of my work as well. Usually overexcitabilities, as Dabrowski talked about them, and we can put the link in the show notes about that. A lot of times it's presented as overexcitabilities are a sign of giftedness. And so overexcitabilities, this is this heightened intensity in different areas, some of which overlap with the areas of intelligence that I work with. I mean, in terms of the names of them are the kind of general, um, what would you call it? The general attractor field of that area. But it's different in the sense that giftedness is really about complexity and overexcitabilities are really about intensity. It may be repetitive intensity. It may be a kind of unstoppable energy feeling or something like that, or heightened awareness, but not necessarily complexity. And so at the beginning of my work, I said giftedness was complexity and intensity. And then when I realized later on that the intensity is better described by the overexcitabilities, I separated them out. So I mean, any gifted person compared to a non-gifted person is going to feel intense in some way or another. So if you have somebody with an IQ, using the IQ just as a, an easy, you know, easy way to make a differentiation, you have somebody with an IQ of 150 and you have somebody with an IQ of 100, the person with an IQ of 150, even if they are not intense, even if they're complex, but they don't have that you know, high level of overexcitability, they may look very, still very intense to a person with a more average IQ because they have so many thoughts, because they're thinking in all of these directions, it's fractalizing out, they're having ideas, they're having questions and so on. And the person with an average IQ may be like, you're totally overwhelming me and you're so intense. But maybe you take that person without overexcitabilities who has a 150 IQ and then you put them next to a person with a 150 IQ that has overexcitabilities and you're going to notice the difference in intensity between the two of them. So the irony is that you, know, you can have a person with overexcitabilities and let's say the 150 IQ and when they meet up with the other person with the 150 IQ with no overexcitabilities, they're going to experience a feeling of sameness and a drastic feeling of difference when it comes to the intensity aspect. So sameness in the complexity, but difference in the intensity. And what I've heard sometimes from people, gifted people with overexcitabilities, is that they doubt the giftedness level of the other person without overexcitabilities because they confound their own intensity, their own overexcitabilities and giftedness. So to a degree, I mean, who cares? But when you're at the level of doing assessments, you know, you're spotting all of these differences. And it is helpful to understand, especially for people who are in any sort of close relationship with people with overexcitabilities, if it is that's where it gets important to understand because um, <laughs> those of us with overexcitabilities can be so terribly overwhelming <laughs> just to those without them. And also, we can be, we can put pressure on people without them to get them because life, I'm quoting, nobody can see my air quotes, but I'm air quoting, life is better like that. You know, <laughs> how can you be enjoying life if you're not so intense? That can be <laughs> sort of a feeling from, <laughs> from people with overexcitability. So yeah, it's important. And then from the other person, it's also important for them to realize this is not this person trying to overwhelm me. This is just this person's intensity and if you're in a close relationship, it can be helpful because then that person can maybe help you to channel some of those intensities in better ways rather than just taking out the intensity on the other person. I'm laughing because that was exactly my experience in my relationship. Before I even knew about the giftedness, before I knew anything, I moved in with my partner in 2019. And yeah, there were some, how should you explain some sort of tensions and I could see that it was, you know, me creating them <laughs> and learning about the giftedness gave me some answers. But then I was like, well, but does it explain everything? It didn't. And then I was looking into twice exceptionality. ADHD in adult women also looks different than in boys. Yeah. So then I went and thought, 
I might have ADHD and that might also give some explanation. That was then my reason for going for an assessment, asking, you know, the examiner or the psychologist, I'm gifted and I might have ADHD. Can you tell me which is which and where it overlaps? And the person had no idea about giftedness in general. Right. The irony of the the person doing the IQ test who has no idea about giftedness, right? Exactly. So that was one thing. And then also not being able to, you know, that was my question, like where, where does it overlap? Where is the sometimes, you know, giftedness is mistaken for ADHD and ADHD can be mistaken for giftedness. But then talking to you, you were saying, well, have you looked at overexcitabilities? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that also answers a lot of questions for me. And then it helps me in my relationship because I'm more aware of myself. I can maybe channel it or I find peers that have similar overexcitabilities. It doesn't always need to be my partner who I talk to about the sheer size of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I think that that goes back into self-development, but it helps really on a, I'm also quoting like basic relationship interactions and skills. Exactly. And I mean, when I came up with this model and this way of doing assessments, qualitative assessments, it was really important for me, you know, like I said, about self-development, but even self-development can be a bit abstract and future oriented. It was also important for me to help people to understand right now, how can you improve just your daily experience? I mean, just the simple idea of like time management or energy management, relationships, how do I relate better? How do I express my needs? How do I understand my own needs and express my needs? How do I get needs met from a person that's important to me who is never going to be able to meet those particular needs? And also to a degree, how do I know to whom to speak about which parts of myself? Because with OEs, it can be tempting to overexcitabilities. It can be tempting to go speak to this person because that you love them and you just want to tell them everything that's in your head or whatever, all the emotions that you feel or all the sensual things you're experiencing or whatever. And they might just not be the right person for that. And without knowing this, you you don't know how to calibrate who you're sharing what of yourself with. So it's this very practical, grounded, daily self-awareness that can allow you to make certain choices that are best for you, are best for your partner, are best for your relationship with parents, if they're still alive, your relationship with your colleagues, your relationship with your children, if you have them, this very practical, and also your relationship with your own self and your, your own body, your own energy. When you start to realize what's up with your particular profile, you can stop being overly demanding toward yourself, slow down the perfectionism, get back in your body if you've been stuck in your mind Sometimes I hear the joke from gifted people, I exist from the neck up kind of thing. I mean, that's not all gifted people, but especially people who are really high on the intellectual side and lower on the awarenesses of like the sensual or people who have been through a significant trauma. And also as that relates to the aspect of choice exceptionality that you're asking about, it's like figuring out which areas of high ability you have and then which areas of contextual disability you have. There's different ways of looking at certain learning disabilities, ADHD, and neurological things that are considered on a neurological disorder spectrum, like autism. Some people say it's not a condition, it's not a medical or neurological condition, it's just an identity. You can kind of say what you want about it, but there are typically some contextually disabling factors that make it more difficult to fit into the normal society. So if you already have high ability that can actually be sometimes a sort of disabling factor when you're trying to fit into the normal world. It can also give you great opportunities, kind of depends on what your context is. But whatever that configuration is, plus the whatever contextual disabilities you might have, learning disabilities, ADHD, whatever, and figuring out how do you build your daily life? How do you manage your daily energy? How do you manage your self-image? How do you manage your relationships based on that? based on what that really is for you. So for those of us who are twice exceptional or multi-exceptional, as they call it, being gifted and then having some contextual disability, it takes a lot of management. It's not like 
you know, you just set your autism aside in the morning and then do giftedness all day and come back to your autism in the evening, you know, after you've accomplished major things for the world or something like that. It doesn't work that way. It's a constant daily management of energy, expectations, social life, you know, the whole thing. So without understanding those different parts of oneself, oneself, like if you have, let's say you're autistic, gifted, and you have overexcited abilities, wow, that's quite a configuration. And you have some daily management to do. And you can't just wake up again and think like, I'm just going to be my best self today. Forget all that other stuff. And then just deal with the rest later. It really is. You, you just have to, you have to be managing that all. And then in our assessments, we look at like extended questions in terms of, do you have a history of trauma, specifically trauma related to development? So complex post-traumatic stress disorder, CPTSD, something that's developmentally caused you to not have access to important parts of yourself to have shut down access to important parts of what it means to be human and what it means to be yourself. And if you have things that you've shut down, you may, a lot of women have experienced this, some men as well and other genders, but a lot of women have experienced, for example, having to play down their intelligence, their intellectual intelligence, and play up their emotional intelligence in order to be the caretakers, in order to be the good smiling girls, in order to not threaten men so that violence isn't happening against us, this kind of stuff. So a lot of women in my generation have brought that along with their giftedness. That's a form of trauma. Sometimes people say, yes, but gifted trauma, that's just being highly dramatic or something. But it's not, if you're routinely shutting down parts of yourself and inflating parts of yourself, this is what they call a narcissistic wound. And it's a legitimate developmental problem. And so when a person comes in for an assessment and we're able to see, you know what, it looks like you've been shutting down your intellectual intelligence, for example, so that you don't threaten the people around you, so that people will treat you fine or whatever, there might be some healing that has to be done in order for you to really be able to access all the parts of yourself and manage your daily energy, manage your relationships well. You might be a person with the profile that I'm talking about might be totally overworking themselves to take care of everybody around them, using their giftedness to emotionally care for everyone around them, doing the emotional labor of five people because they can, because they have their giftedness at work, but their giftedness is not equally working well for them because it's being sort of exploited by whatever configuration happens to come from their developmental trauma and maybe whatever other factors are going on. And then this is sort of true, like I said, on an individual level like that, but there's also the cultural aspects like living over here. You know, I've been able to see in the French culture, French speaking culture, there's very much like they're there. You just want to be special. Don't try to think of yourself as any, any different. Stop trying to be special. And that can really keep a person down. So that's not to say that Everybody should be able to think that they're better than everybody else. But it is to say that people should have access to just what they are. Again, not as a comparing factor, exactly. Just as a, just having access. You know, we, we learn what culture we belong to. We learn uh, what language we need to speak. We learn gender stuff. Like we learn all this stuff about ourselves, except this, <laughs> you know? And I mean, I could even argue, but this is a separate point, but I could even argue that these kinds of assessments would be great for anybody who's actually interested in understanding themselves, gifted or not, because everybody has some level of intelligence. And if you're some sort of alive thing, if you're an alive being, you have some version of some of these intelligences, you know, and understanding that could be really helpful, figuring out like, what do I care most about? What am I most invested in mentally? And what are the challenges that come along with that so that I can balance out who, you know, who I am and kind of have an appropriate container for guiding my life and, and doing, let's say, I'll use the word self-leadership in leading myself through my life. Wow. And I think we could speak forever and for hours and you have so much to offer. And I know you have so much knowledge and so much resources and you have a lot on the website. So obviously I'm going to put the links in the show notes. And just one thing I, I think we haven't mentioned is we spoke about IQ differences, right? You said comparing it to the IQ of 100 or 130, 145, 160. But what you also do in, in your work is there are different forms of kind of 
thinking patterns. And if you are gifted, let's say moderately gifted, and you're a skip thinker, you still might be very different in how you perceive the world as somebody that's, you know, highly or profoundly gifted, that has a different thinking patterns. So just because people are gifted, they might still have a very different experience of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're like kind of on the border of mildly gifted to to not gifted, and then compared to somebody that's, let's say, profoundly gifted, I mean, it's a very drastic difference. It's still all sort of above the average amount of complexity, of intellectual complexity, but it's very different. So you can, I mean, I describe it as a fractal, so you can sort of see that skip thinking starts to go outside of the norm a bit, outside of a linear sort of a linear scope of reasoning or linear path of reasoning. Skipped thinking is literally like if you take the same points that a non-gifted person is doing, so it's step-by-step thinking, and then you leap over several steps, that's the idea of skip thinking. So you're moving faster through the material. When you get into highly gifted and above, so highly, exceptionally, and profoundly, you start to find this fractaling out pattern. So there's it's not just skipping steps, it's adding steps and in three dimensions and they're all over the place and some are back and forward in time and it's not a linear path at that point and it's very complex and the higher you go up the more complex it is the faster the reasoning moves the more interconnected the all of these points are so it can be this very complex matrix that you wouldn't find in somebody that's mildly gifted for example that's an important part of my work the way that i've sort of set these things out and you can have like you could be intellectually highly gifted, for example, so have this kind of meta matrix that I'm talking about, and then you could be emotionally not gifted. So when it comes to describing emotional things in a complex way, it doesn't really doesn't really happen or feeling things emotionally in a complex way. It's not really there. It's more the step-by-step reasoning. Or you could be both intellectually and emotionally highly gifted, and then you can see that enriches this kind of mental matrix very much. So there's these different ways of being, most people don't, I mean, it's rare that I find somebody that's like intellectually profoundly gifted with no signs of any other kinds of giftedness in there. I mean, usually there's some kind of overlapping areas, but what I find and we found with your profile, but I often find this is like, you have a few areas that are kind of the key dominant areas. And then the other ones play supportive roles. They kind of play contextually supportive roles. So you could be like, intellectually, creatively, and emotionally highly gifted. And then physically, centrally, and existentially, it's less dominant, but it's there kind of behind the scenes, you know, playing a supportive role. And it can be any combination of these kinds of things. Yeah. And then the overexcitabilities and twice exceptionalities on top. So, (laughs) And any trauma that needs to be. (laughs) Exactly. But I just want to say thank you, Jen, for first of all, sharing with us and also helping me find a little bit more answers about myself and moving forward and not giving up on the podcast because I had a bad experience with one (laughs) examiner. (laughs) I'm very glad you didn't give up on the podcast. Thank you. And so where can people find you? There's such a big need currently for people wanting to have psychologists, psychiatrists, coaches working with them in the gifted field and maybe you can share a little bit what you do yeah sure i've trained several other assessors that work with me in inter gifted so right now we currently have four assessors and between us we offer assessments in english french and german technically i can offer them in italian as well but nobody ever contacts me for, for an assessment in italian so but in case there's a listener who says i would love to do an italian I can do it. And we look at these things that we've talked about today. Areas of intelligence, overexcitabilities, if they're present, twice exceptionalities, if they're present, trauma and other cultural factors that would we'd have to be looking at in terms of how you've had access to your intelligence and expressing it and what maybe needs to change. So somebody who's interested in doing that can come to our website. We'll put a link. It's at intergifted.com. And then it's easy to find on the menu, the, the assessments tab. Something important for people to keep in mind is that the assessments should be done when you're in a place where you can really learn 
you're not in a highly fearful or angry or emotionally unstable place, it's really important. This is kind of complex information that needs to have a safe place to land. And it's also about because we were really working with what are you going to do with this next in your life? Like, where does this knowledge lead you in terms of your personal development? A person has to be ready to invest in personal development. And personal development usually comes after important healing, if healing needs to be done. So if a person's just like happy in their life and they're good, okay, go ahead and schedule directly. But a lot of times people come and we have it explained on the website that it'll help anybody that's interested understand if they fit the criteria or not. But for people who don't and who need to do some healing first, we recommend, you know, doing some therapy in order to get to the place where they can feel safe, they can feel ready to engage. They're not coming in with highly defensive attitude or something about learning about themselves, that kind of thing. Two of us are here in Switzerland. One is in Germany and the other is in the U.S. Three of us are expats. (laughs) So we kind of have a multiple cultural look at things. I think sometimes people worry when they see that it's all in English because they think, okay, it's all from the American point of view probably. And it's not, I mean, I am, you know, I grew up in America, so there is that background for me, but I've lived over here for a long time. And yeah, it's sort of this mix of looking at things. It's not just going to be through an achievement model, which a lot of people associate with the American system and the American mentality. Like, you know, I just, I'm special and I'm going to just achieve and everything. It's not at all about that. Like if you achieve things, that's wonderful as well, but this really isn't about external achievements. This is about you understanding how to lead your own life. So I think that's an important element just to say. Do you want to share that you train coaches and therapists? No, I'd be happy to. In the last five years or so, I've taken to training other therapists and coaches in my model of giftedness and also in gifted psychology. So that's a huge part of my work. Aside from directing into gifted, I'm no longer able to work with individual clients. Like I've had to kind of retire from the coaching work because of the demands of what intergifted has grown into, but I still do a lot of professional training for coaches and therapists. So if you're a coach or therapist listening and you're thinking, oh, I'd like to understand more how to help my clients with understanding these things about themselves, I have a profiling and introduction to profiling training available as well as longer courses, which are dedicated to gifted psychology, understanding the unique needs of gifted people. So that's not a profiling specific, but it's kind of addresses the other questions. Like once the person has their profile, what do they do with it? What unique problems do they face? What unique opportunities do they have? And how can you help them as a service provider? And I'm going to put the links in the show notes. So is there anything else at the end that you would like to share something you want people to know or something you wish you knew earlier? Yeah, I think related to what you were saying about your own process, I think it's important for people to assess where they are on this kind of discovery process and to reduce the pressure. Like I said, you know, when somebody's coming in for an assessment, it's important that they're not under a lot of pressure because if they are, then they put us under a lot of pressure. They put themselves under a lot of pressure to have a specific outcome, to perform well and it all kind of gets into this achievement, perfectionism thing, better, worse, good, bad stuff. And then it really becomes difficult to discover the information you're actually looking for when you're in that mentality. It, it puts us in a heightened state of nervous system activation anytime we're under that kind of pressure. And so, I mean, it's not to say we just like... <laughs> sit back and don't take any steps. I mean, yes, take steps. And there's a certain amount of pressure that's necessary for activity to to make activity happen. But it's more like having energy and and passion for the self-discovery process rather than pressure to be something or to show that you are this or that or whatever. So wherever you're at on the journey, I think it's important to kind of assess how much pressure you're putting on yourself and find it in the good range where you're really working with your passion and kind of thinking of the concept of flow. You're in your area of passion, which might be self-discovery, but you're not pushing yourself to learn and understand and know more than it's possible for you to know. So you're still working within your current capabilities. And that makes for a much better experience, whether you do an IQ test or not, whether you do an assessment or not, it's figuring out what your motivations are and keeping that pressure in, in the right range. 
Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, I mean, I'm taking your courses and I really enjoy learning from you. And I just want to use this opportunity to say thank you. Well, thank you to you too, because I mean, this has been a year of you, year plus of you doing these podcasts and it's great. I mean, the information you're bringing and the energy you're bringing to the adult gifted world is really important and changing the way that the conversations are being had and away from the stress and the achievement model and the perfectionism. And, you know, I think what I'm saying about keeping it in the, in the healthy range, you're helping because you're bringing these kinds of conversations to the table. So I'm happy to do what I can to support your work as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks to all the listeners as well. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. I hope this conversation gave you a few answers of the questions you might have about IQ tests. What is intelligence? How can I claim myself to be gifted without an IQ score? How do I do next steps once I do find out I might be gifted? How can I claim it without having, you know, a stamp on your forehead or approval by an administer of such a test? So I hope it gave you a little bit of clarity and a little bit of also permission to just be different and just do you and explore on your own terms, look into your own self-personal development. And you're doing this for yourself. You don't need to prove anything to anybody. And I'm pretty sure people who claim they're gifted, but they're actually not, they think being gifted gives you some some sort of advantage. But if you're truly gifted, you probably doubted yourself. And also, you might be here because you experienced some roadblocks along the way and not quite fit in and had some difficulties in certain situations and it's not a badge of honor, right? It's just a neurodiversity, uh, neurodivergence. It's just your brain works a little bit differently. You don't need somebody else giving you permission to look into this topic and taking for yourself what makes sense and what helps and supports you in your journey. So I just wanted to make sure you understand this. And I just want to mention that. I am currently setting up in the background together with a few founding members, the Unleash Monday community for gifted and twice exceptional women. So currently you can sign up for the wait list on the website and I will reach out to you if we are opening the doors. So just so you know, that's happening in the background. And if you haven't seen the 2e conference for adults i put the link in the show notes and also all the resources that chen has mentioned in the interview i also put them in the show notes so if you want to support this show in another way then the best way to do so is if you subscribe on apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can rate the show you can give a few stars hopefully five and you can leave a written review and that really gives the algorithm a little bit of a boost and it might show this podcast to other people who need to see and hear it so please you will really do me a big favor by sharing liking subscribing and yeah tell a friend who you think might need to hear this so with that i'm wishing you a wonderful week bye